Thailand has been gradually easing restrictions put in place to curb the spread of COVID-19, with more businesses and activities allowed to resume. But many migrant workers are still feeling the impact of the initial stages of the lockdown when many companies were forced to close. As Meiwang reports, many still have no income. It's in urban slums like these that the people who build the cities live. And back in March, when the national lockdown was announced with barely four hours notice, these people found themselves left rotting. So universal social protection is a very fundamental right for all human beings, right? So it aims to reduce the vulnerabilities and economic risk of individuals, but also as whole community. Right. And universal health coverage means a comprehensive, high-quality, appropriate health services provided to everyone, right? So regardless of who you are, where you are, all people should have the access to health services when they are needed without any financial hardship. Social protection is a big umbrella term and health protection is one aspect of that. The issue is that migrant workers are often viewed only of their economic benefit and their contribution only in terms of like economic purposes, right? So it's in a sense seeing migrant workers, a lot of policies see migrant workers as tools rather than of people, right? Mm. And when we stop seeing migrant workers as people, we don't ensure the policies surrounding them is about people, right? In terms of protecting people, in terms of ensuring that they're safe, in terms of ensuring that they're healthy. Voicey Podcast, the voice of East and Southeast Asia. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Whenever you listen to this podcast with me, Jess and Dito, welcome to Voicey Podcast by BBC, a podcast dedicated to highlight the stories around cross-cutting human rights issues across East and Southeast Asia. This podcast is an initiative of BBC Network, better engagement between East and Southeast Asia. Hi, Dito, how are you? Yo, Jess, I'm good, man. How you doing? Hi, I'm good. It's morning, right? And yeah. Thank God we already woke up. <laughs> <laughs> it is what it is. And today we are gonna have a conversation about universal social protection. It's been more than two years that this world has been facing the COVID-19. And the existence of this pandemic eventually revealed what's wrong in our whole system, including the right to health-related issues, including for migrant workers around the world. In 2020, BBC conducted an advocacy study on the human rights situations of migrant workers in major destinations in East and Southeast Asia, and social protection for migrant workers have been one of our focus areas for continuing cross-regional advocacy. The fact that health protection is important during this time Migrant workers are often left out of the loop, denying them access to healthcare, health services, vaccines, etc. As the pandemic is still far from its ending, it is important to address the issue and increase awareness, as well as understanding of what can be done to ensure the migrant workers' access to right to health. Yeah, correct, yes. And that's the reason why now we're going to have a conversation with Adeline Tinesia, a graduate student of the University of Sydney, 
who is the lead researcher for BBC's advocacy research on strengthening health protection for migrant workers in East and Southeast Asia, an analysis of three case analysis. And to commemorate WHO declaration of the two years of pandemic on 10th of March, we will conduct the report launching of the research as well as policy discussion to discuss further about what she found during the research. Well, welcome to Voicey Podcast, Adeline. Thank Maybe you. Before we, go, before we go further, would you like to tell us more about yourself you know, to the listeners? Sure. So my name is um, Adeline. I've been working with um, BBC pretty much from its inception, mid-2020 or so. So my interest is in um, global health. So I'm currently just finishing up my studies in a master's of global health. And I'd like to see the intersection of migration and how migration is a determinant of health. So this study that um, I've done has been really interesting. Yo, that that's awesome, which actually leads me to my next question. You know, as, as you are the lead researcher for advocacy research on health protection for migrant workers, can you tell us a bit about your focus areas and why are you so interested in working on these issues? Yeah, so uh, as I said, my focus area is in um, health and migration, but also I'm interested in, in my other work, I'm interested in looking at vaccine hesitancy and vaccine uptake. But overall for, for this work, I'm interested to see how countries have dealt with COVID-19 and in particular how the migrant communities have been treated by the policymakers themselves with regards to COVID-19. So Alin, I know that you have done research on this COVID-19 pandemic and um, its relation with the right to health, especially for migrant workers, right? And we are really excited to hear what are your research find findings. But first, I would like to ask you about, um, can you tell us about what is universal social protection and universal health coverage and why is it important, especially during this time? Yeah. So universal social protection is a very fundamental right for all human beings, right? So it aims to reduce the vulnerabilities and economic risk of individuals, but also as um, a whole community. Um, so of course it um, includes health, but it also includes anything that seeks to prevent or reduce poverty. Um, so by promoting social inclusion um, and increasing the dignity of vulnerable people. Health is part of it, but it is also a lot of other things as well that comes under the universality of um, human rights. Right. And universal health coverage means a comprehensive, high quality, appropriate health services provided to everyone, right? So regardless of who you are or, or where you are, all people should have the access to health services when they are needed um, without any financial hardship. So um, this can be health promotion or prevention, treatment, rehabilitation, anything that comes under the umbrella of health is under universal health coverage. And then what I get from your explanation is uh, this two things, uh, universal social protection and universal health coverage is same but different, right? Same but different. But uh, I would like to ask you that, are both of them, those two things between the universal, universal social protection and universal health coverage related to each other? Yeah, there, there certainly are. So 
an integral aspect of universal social protection is health protection, right? Because health is so important to all human beings. Uh, and, and a healthy society is is important for the running of that society. So ensuring that individuals are afforded good health without any discrimination um, will guarantee their continued contribution in society. So, so essentially, health uni, um, universal social protection is a big umbrella term, and health protection is one aspect of that. Right. I see. I see. All right, so Aline, so for almost like the past one year of you doing this research and finally, you know, you finish with everything, I would like to personally ask, like, what was your finding of your research? And the two things that you've mentioned above uh, about the universal health coverage and the universal social protection, are all of them actually accessible by all parts of society? Um, unfortunately not. So while the ideals of universal health coverage and in the term universal itself, it should mean that everybody has access, right? So when when a country employs universal health coverage um, in its actual definition, it should mean everybody. But in its, um, I guess, in its employment, um, unfortunately, um, <coughs> a lot of countries exclude a particular population. So this may be migrants uh, and non-citizens um, by virtue of their lack of citizenship. It can even be in the sense of a divide between urban and rural because some people that live far away from health facilities are not afforded the healthcare, right? Because they're so far away. So. While the idea of universal health coverage means that everybody should have the same right to access to quality healthcare in practice, that is really not um, the case. Well, well, in that case, uh, for migrant workers especially, so what are the barriers that they have to you know face in accessing those healthcare? In that sense? Yeah, so unfortunately, migrant workers, they have a lot of barriers that they have to overcome. Um, when accessing um, uh, healthcare, right? In a lot of cases, migrant workers are excluded from the inclusion of the health protection in that particular society. So even if a society has very comprehensive health coverage for their own citizens, um, in a lot of cases, migrant workers are excluded. Um, um, so by virtue of not being uh, offered healthcare so when they go to clinics they uh the doctors or nurses or health workers uh, refuse to, uh, to give them care or by virtue that um the countries themselves don't cover the payments for healthcare so, and because uh, migrant workers can't afford healthcare then therefore they can't go to um uh health services to do doctors um, or to hospitals. Migrant workers are often stigmatized as well. Um, so um, because migrant workers are so politicized, unfortunately, um, it has left a stigma attached to them. It's also the case that some migrant workers live in area where quality healthcare um, is uh, uh, not available. So an important part of universal health coverage is the, the fact that it needs quality healthcare. In some places, quality healthcare are, say, afforded in 
big cities or in particular parts of the cities that tend to be richer um, uh, and where migrant workers live, the healthcare that I, that is offered is not um, to the same quality. There's also issue with uh, inaccessibility. So as I said, there's the rural um, and urban divide, but there's also um, linguistic and cultural sort of divergence that results in migrant workers' health need being um, either completely or partially um, unmet, um, or that mental health is not offered um, mental health protection is not offered to migrant workers. Um, there's also a gendered aspects where female migrant workers are not able to access uh, uh, women's related health. Um, and there's also um, an issue with irregular and undocumented migrant workers where even if countries allow their migrant workers or, or give access to healthcare for their migrant workers that are registered that are documented irregular and undocumented migrant workers are often not offered these um, protection so here's uh, there's a problem right there's a problem uh, about the inability to of migrant workers to access the mm -hmm. rights of health right but um what are the root problem root problems what are the main problem and why the problems existing? Yeah, um, I guess it relates to just how migrant workers are treated or are perceived by society and by policymakers of the receiving countries. So they're all related, right? So um, political, social, economical aspects that contribute to how migrant workers are treated outside of the health um, itself contributes to how they're treated within the health settings. Um, so unfortunately, all the issues that's probably been uh, discussed in this podcast in the past, they all contribute to the issues that I experience with regards to migrant workers accessing the health rights. Right, right. And according to your findings of your research, uh, that uh, there are what is it that that there are problems uh, you've been explaining uh, earlier mm -hmm. then who are the most responsible actors that uh, cause the the existing of the problems actually um that's a really interesting question um so i suppose the most direct actor that is responsible would obviously be the government right because they are responsible for creating the policies um so this can be the overall national government, the Department of Health, Department, Ministry of Migration, whatever it is, you know, right, according right. to that particular country, um, they create the policies um, that are associated with how migrant workers and workers are treated within um, uh, the health setting. But we have to also think of the fact that, mm, you know, governments are made up of people and people make up societies. So they all feed into, into each other, right? It's like a feedback loop. If the societies deem migrant workers as lower than them or as undeserving of protection, then of course it's going to feed back to the government and the type of policies that they make so that migrants are treated only in the sense of their importance to the economy rather than 
you know as a as a whole kind of these are human beings that we also need to treat properly um so it's a bit of it's a bit of both i would say of course in terms of the policies the government the most important aspect but also that society um and the stigma attached to migrant migrant workers will feed into that um policy as well so understanding that also uh, as the government takes a big role yeah in deciding mm-hmm. the fate of the social protection or universal health care for these migrant workers i believe in general there are guidelines and principles right there's already existing you know to protect uh, the migrant workers rights to social protection or be universal health care so with that is it enough currently i mean is, is in the current uh principles or guidelines not enough um the, no <laughs> i guess the straight answer is not, unfortunately not um of course there are guidelines so we can even think more broadly to the sdgs right the sustainable development goals there's um visions where um it says to leave no one behind which requires the consideration and inclusion of the health and needs of everyone including migrant workers right both informal and informal we have who that already defines universal health coverage as access to health services when needed whenever and wherever these people um, are um, which is also part of uh, the sdgs so even globally we already have these guidelines but without these guidelines being enforced within the national setting it's very difficult for it to be achieved and i can't even say that there is a particular country that is perfect at implementing universal health care for everyone citizens and non-citizens um because it is difficult um and it is daunting i guess for policymakers and it can sound um expensive so there are a lot of kind of detriments to this idea um simply because it's um it is difficult but that doesn't mean that it shouldn't be employed or it shouldn't be a target or that it shouldn't be a working process that's actually very interesting you're talking about how the implementation actually goes and in reality like if it actually work or not on and the schemes that the people or countries are trying to implement within their own countries it's no, actually no, very no, interesting no, no no i would like to ask first that you said that the problem is the that the existing guidelines or the existing principles is not being implemented right that's the problem but um, beside that problem i mean uh, the existing guidelines itself is it good enough or Is there anything that should be improved uh, in the existing guidelines or principles itself, you know? Yeah, um, I, I guess guidelines tend to be very, um, well, I don't want to say wishy-washy, but it tends to be quite broad, right? A lot of these issues need the guidelines to be quite targeted um, and pretty much make as clear as um, possible. So having guidelines where they say include migrant workers in local health system there's not a lot of guidelines that would actually say that right um you know they they will say oh you as i said like this means the protection of everyone and all that but countries can interpret that differently so without the guidelines having very explicit terms 
um, for inclusion or at least the mitigation. So, for example, guidelines saying that ensure that to ensure employers have to implement health protection policies. I wouldn't say it's difficult for countries to implement. I mean, it is difficult, but it's also the fact that countries can look at this and be like, oh, well, you know, we are saying that we have universal health coverage because everybody, you know, has access, everybody being all citizens, right? So their their interpretation, uh, consciously or subconsciously, ignore a large aspect of society being migrants, right? Including migrant workers. Without guide, yeah, as I said, without guidelines being explicit, um, and it, as it currently stands, guidelines are not. Um, it's it's very yeah, it's very it it leaves room for interpretation whereby people are being forgotten. Right. Uh, maybe to add, uh, just yeah. Uh, in 2020, uh, BBC also already made a proposed guideline um, to protect migrant workers' rights during the public health crisis. I mean, for all the listeners, if you're actually interested to know more about it, you can access our document on our website at www.bbc.org. The specific link will be included in our caption of this episode, right? just to you know to promote. And I believe that Alin is also one of the researcher within that uh, guideline report. Yeah, that's right, Dita. That was published uh, at the end of 2020, so it's a very interesting read. And of course. Between then and now, a lot of things have um, developed, but a lot of the recommendations in the guideline pretty much still has the same kind of effect today. Right, right. But um, before we go to the next questions or stuff, can you explain a bit about what uh, did the guidelines recommend? Oh, the the. Uh, the one in um, 2020? Yes. Great. Um, so uh, that research in 2020, we conducted uh, the research together with um, research partners from, uh, let me think, hang on, Malaysia, Singapore, Japan, South Korea, Hong Kong, Taiwan and Thailand. And I might have forgotten um, something else. Um, so we analyzed um, the those the findings from those seven countries um, right. to see um, what are the very sim- similar um, experiences and how can it be improved of the of the experience of migrant workers. And we've come up with guidelines uh, <laughs> where uh, we focus on the right to healthcare and good and services. So meaning um, that everyone should have access. To health without discrimination, so as like universal health coverage, but also includes the right to information because the pandemic is ever changing. People should be um, should have access to um, information. So this also includes you know migrant workers when they live in society that speaks a different language to them. Information should be translated. Um, there's also the right to decent work and um, social protection. So we found in that um, study that uh, that migrant workers who um, were working were, were working in conditions that are poorer as a result of COVID-19 or unsafe or unhygienic. Um, there's also the right to safe and fair immigration processes, particularly as borders at the time were tightening. Um, uh, so, which includes screening and quarantine at points of entry, um, ensuring that migrant workers should have non-discrimination and confidential 
um, uh, process of migration with dignity um, without sort of indefinite detention under the pretense of um, pandemic. Uh, there's also the rights to be protected from um, trafficking as uh, should be recognized that there's increased potential risk with people being trafficked um, uh, during a um, public crisis, a public <laughs> health crisis. Uh, there's also the right of workers at remote, private, and hard-to-reach places. So these include sort of people who work in, say, um, agriculture or fisheries, um, that they should also be protected and that government should um, have the ability to um, ensure and, and check the processes. Um, and the right to safe living conditions, which is extremely important. We saw that in 2020 and also in 2021. Uh, in a lot of countries, a majority of cases came about in a dormitory or um, in places of detention because of crowded conditions, unhygienic conditions. Mm. Um, and so the right to living conditions, um, a, 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 high quality living condition is ever more pertinent because of uh, this pandemic. Right. Um, you know, Adeline, since the very beginning uh, of this conversation, we are talking about the condition that is faced by the migrant workers, mm-hmm. uh, their inability to access healthcare, their inability to access social protection, and so many more discrimination that they are facing, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, that makes me wonder, actually, what actually makes the migrant workers become so vulnerable? You know, what 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 is the problem that makes the migrant workers group uh, becoming a one of the most vulnerable groups uh, in this context? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a really interesting question. Um, I think to begin with, uh, the issue is that migrant workers are often viewed only of their economic benefit um, and their contribution only in terms of like economic um, purposes, right? Mm. Um, So in a sense, seeing migrant workers, a lot of policies see migrant workers as tools rather than of people, right? Mm. And when we stop seeing seeing migrant workers as people we don't ensure the policies surrounding them is about people right in terms of protecting people in terms of ensuring that they're safe in terms of ensuring that they're um healthy so across the case studies both in the previous study and in terms of what i have done uh more recently um uh it's uh, it's common that migrant workers work in precarious employment, dangerous job, living in high, unhygienic condition. Um, and, and these things um, has an impact on um, health workers, right? Um, but also overall, migration is seen as a determinant of health um, in in sense that... Um, uh there's been studies that's been conducted that people who migrate regardless of their migrant workers or not and and outside of the case studies that have been conducted so well-established studies have seen that people who migrate to a different country tend to have 
uh, lower health outcome, right? Uh, and then there's a number of reasons, right? When we migrate to a different country, we have to adapt to a new health system. Um, and sometimes that takes time, which means that we delay certain health procedure, checking up, you know, going to the doctor just to uh, check up, you know, going to the dentist to check up on your teeth. You don't do that um, as often when you migrate and you're trying to adapt to a new society. <clears throat> and, and that's just migrants overall. Uh, and it's even less so when you're migrant workers because of all the barriers that I have uh, talked about before, right? It's expensive or you're not covered by the government or you don't have access to sick leave to even go to the doctors when you are sick. Um, and that affects really like your health in the long term, right? Of course, it impacts in the short term. If I have a uh, a flu or anything like that, something quite simple and I don't go to doctors, I probably would feel miserable for a couple of days or a couple of weeks, right? Mm-hmm. But we might have sort of health conditions that we ignore or that we are told to ignore or that we have no choice but to ignore because we don't have the access to the healthcare um, that may actually have a very long-term impact. Um, and so improving health is a short-term and long-term benefit, right? Because you will want to have people feel better short, short-term, right? So like, as I said, oh, having the flu, and uh, it'd be good to have medicine to treat that. Uh, but also long-term in the sense of, I have say a pain in my body and I'm you know, going to doctors to check it up. And it could be something that is serious and uh, it's good that we picked it up early. But if you just continue to ignore, that could have a long-term ramification where it could be even more serious in the future. Or it can lead to debilitating health condition or it could even lead to death. Um, yeah, sorry, that was quite the ramble, but I hope that kind of makes sense. <laughs> Right, right, yeah, right, it, right. It does, it does, it does. Especially understanding that you you state in a very important point that even by default, when a migrant worker actually, you know, trying to adapt to a new country, like there's a clear difference of the healthcare accessibility yeah. and and the, their nature to actually want to check, let's say, for yeah. the simple stuff. So yeah, yeah. it's pretty clear. Or, right. or even just knowledge. Like if you and I, you know, we migrate to... Uh, I don't know, some countries that we've never been that we don't speak the language, mm-hmm. we probably would find it very difficult to even know how do I go to the doctors or how do I, you know, go to hospital or anything like that. It's actually not not as simple um, as it can be. Um, so even, even you and I, when we might have more access or more uh, ability mm-hmm. to, to access healthcare, we would we would ha- find it difficult. It's even worse for migrant workers because there's even more of a barrier yeah. attached to them. So even something as simple as information becomes a barrier for them due to Correct. different language and stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's say let's go back to your research that you just made um, that you're going to launch pretty soon. So within your research, did you find any exemplary schemes that can be seen as a good example for other countries to follow? Yeah. Um, so. In, I guess I'd, I'd explain the research a little bit. So the, the, the research employed three case studies, right? right? And those case studies are Indonesian migrants going to Singapore and Malaysia. So that's case study number one. Case study number two is Vietnamese migrants going to Japan. And case number three is Cambodian migrants going to Thailand. So in the, in the research itself, um, I looked at their experience migrating from that particular country to another. Uh, and... Um, uh, kind of exploring 
uh, and looking at the difference of access to healthcare from their home country to their destination country, which means, you know, sort of uh, looking at, for example, if I'm an Indonesian migrant going to Singapore, am I losing health rights and what is it? Or am I gaining health rights and what are those rights? Um, uh, and, and exploring that. Uh, in two out of three case studies, right? Um, unfortunately when migrants leave their home countries they would lose health rights and that's because you know for example if we go back to the example of um, indonesian migrant workers in indonesia you have access to bpjs right and bpjs even in even though it has its issues um is actually offering some health protection right some health rights um and if you are a member of it of you if you are afforded to have a bpjs you would have um access to healthcare. When you go to Singapore, when you go to Malaysia as migrant worker, right, um, you lose those health protection. So by virtue of you losing that, it means your access to healthcare is less or even none, um, uh, and which feeds into the barriers that we've spoke, spoken about before. The one case study whereby migrants actually gain health rights is in the case study of Cambodia and um, Thailand. So Thailand is interesting because it has worked towards universal health coverage for much longer than the other uh, countries, um, uh, despite the fact that it has uh, lower, um, I guess, um, uh, GDP in comparison to Japan and Singapore. Um, so it's been working to improve its healthcare system from around the early 2000s. So every Thai citizen is entitled to essential health services, which includes preventative, curative, palliative care, um, and as well as an extension of coverage of high cost services. So like cancer therapy uh, or stem cell transplants. Um, and over time, the benefits have continually um, increased. So for migrant workers in Thailand, um, it's really quite good because legal, legally migrant workers documented have um, uh, working in formal sectors are covered in this scheme called the social security scheme. Um, and those who are not entitled um, uh, have another uh, way of accessing, which I will talk about after this. Um, uh, so that's called the health insurance card scheme. Yes. Um, which in, in ensures that migrant workers who are not covered by the um, social security schemes have some sort of coverage of healthcare. Uh, but the health insurance card scheme is not actually a legal instrument that is enforced, meaning it's a choice. So if you're migrant workers who are not covered by SSS, you have the choice to get on um, the health uh, insurance card scheme. Um, uh, and so you have to pay. So there's, there's a little bit of issue as i said because some migrant workers may not be able to afford this if they don't work in the formal sector or if they're not documented um, but the fact that this scheme is actually offered is actually really good because in comparison to other countries if you're undocumented or if you don't work in formal sectors you are don't have access whatsoever you don't have a choice right to get a social insurance or health insurance um, so the fact that Thailand offers this in the case study is actually the best case scenario in comparison to, uh, to the other two uh, cases. Um, 
the health insurance ca- uh, card scheme um, have different subtypes um, for um, uh, different prices, right? So there's the first subtype type costs 1,600 baht, the second one costs 2,200 baht. Um, and then there's a third subtype, which is for children of migrant families, which costs 365 baht. So again, the fact that they have sort of different classes um, is really good because at the very least it, it can uh, ensure that migrant workers who may not be able to afford 2,200 baht can at least maybe uh, afford 1,600. Maybe they will be able to do it. And as a result, IAM study in 2018 more than 60% of migrant workers in Thailand um, that is documented said that they could access healthcare easily, which is an excellent, excellent result in comparison to other places, right? Um, so experiences, they said that workers, uh, that their bosses took care of their health um, uh, or um, that, um, you know, they when they can go to doctors, they can do so easily without, um, too much cost or without any cost when they can access um, um, when they can access the uh, insurance scheme. Um, so Thailand is actually one of the few countries in the world really that offers migrant workers an option for health insurance irrespective of their migration status. Um, so that's probably in terms of the study uh, that I just conducted, that's probably where um, there is a good example for countries to follow. Aline, like I would like to explore more on that. Mm-hmm. Uh, like how you state, like for example, Thailand are the, the countries that was at least, to the very least, giving options for these uh, migrant workers or even undocumented ones. Mm-hmm. So knowing that this is actually a pretty good scheme or framework that is used by that country, my question would be, why don't other countries do the same? That's a really excellent question. Um, so we have to realize that countries come from very different experiences and have differing ability uh, of um, offering protection, right? Health protection. Um, health is expensive. Um, uh, and maybe only in the last 10, 20 years, uh, particularly in the region of Southeast Asia, have the idea of universal health coverage so offering everybody, just even the idea of offering their citizens um, health protection, um, that that idea is being um, explored and being implemented, right? Again, I, I draw back to the experience in Indonesia where BPJS only started, what, around 10 years ago, right? Five to 10 years ago. Um, and that's because it's, it's expensive. And if we think of a country that has millions and millions and millions of people, ensuring that every single one of them have access to health, access to go to the hospital, access to medicine, access to, um, you know, preventative care, which means, you know, uh, it's not just about going to hospital because I broke a leg, but it's about I want to go and have a checkup to make sure that I am okay, even though I have no concerns or anything like that. All of that is expensive. So one of the issue is the fact that um, some countries may not have the budget and some countries may be in the process of implementing for their own citizen itself, let alone for non-citizens, right? Because as always, countries will think about themselves more than about, about or their, their people more than about the people from other countries. So that's the first issue. <clears throat> the second issue is the fact that um, 
when you grant people everyone um health protection um you need to make sure that you have good health infrastructure that goes along with it right so if i uh, imagine a a place where there's only one hospital that treats a large group of people right so a big city or a, a big town but there's only one hospital when everybody starts having access to healthcare without uh, a investment in the infrastructure itself that hospital can be so easily overrun right because in a in a good way people are checking up and people will figure out ailments or people will feel more comfortable to go to the doctors to be treated properly rather than you know just treating at home or ignoring it so people want to have their health um uh, concerns addressed which is a good thing but if hospitals or health facilities or anything like that don't have extra uh infrastructure and infrastructure means not just buildings we have to think about hospital beds we have to think about um uh you know um uh, equipments we have to think about med- medicines yeah we also have to think about the nurses and the doctors and the midwives or anything like that it goes along right so we need people things and the actual mm-hmm. building structure itself um again that's also expensive but that, that also takes time right building a health facility it's not like oh i'm going to build one and it's going to be done in a month's time right like building houses take a year or more imagine building a hospital imagine ensuring that there are enough doctors um and enough nurses um i i i, I draw back to uh, indonesia just because i'm indonesian and i'm more sort of aware of of the health system but in in indonesia surprisingly there aren't enough doctors and this is pre pandemic right that there's only about four doctors to about 10,000 people so that's that's crazy right so how long does a, a, a university to become a doctor takes in indonesia about 4 to 5 years right? right so outside of building the hospital itself we need 4 to 5 years to ensure that there's enough people that more people trying to become a doctor right to 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 put into this new health facility and another 2 to 3 years for the nurses another 2 to 3 years for the midwives all of this takes time um so it can't be instant um and that's i think the issue is that where um uh countries are still in the process of of um ensuring that their health system is in a good capacity in a good way the investment will take time and the investment is expensive so some countries may not feel obliged to do it because uh they don't want to they prefer to spend it on something else um unfortunately <laughs> not that i'm saying it's a good thing it's a really bad thing and that even if countries want to the investment that they make today will probably will we will only see the effect of it about 4 to 5 years from now so what i get um from your explanation is uh, that <clears throat> the fact that to provide uh educate health system is expensive right yes. but again if we are talking about uh the responsibility of the states to provide a health system that adequate to the people right um the problems that you that you have explained again cannot be a justification for them to not ensuring not. to fulfill right Correct. so 
Right. So uh, my question is then, um, realizing the problems, mm-hmm. and then how how can countries, regional and international stakeholders, improve the health rights of migrant workers? Um, I think probably the first thing that they would do is in countries. So this is not even without changing any policies, right? In countries where um, the right to health of migrant workers, so ensuring that migrant workers have health insurance, well, that responsibility is placed in the employers. The first thing that they have to do is to ensure that the employers themselves are compliant, right? So this is this is without them investing in healthcare. This is without them investing in uh, changing um, policies or anything like that. The existing policies, if some countries, the existing policies is that employers have to purchase their health insurance. You have to ensure that employers are doing that, and they have to ensure that employers are doing that without taking the wage out of the migrant workers, right? Mm-hmm. Because in a, in a lot of cases, um, employers choose not to. Um, uh, buy health insurance because they might as well keep the money, right? Um, that's 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 insane. That's I think you know. So that's that's the first issue that you have to fix. Um, the second thing is if you are a country that says you offer universal health coverage, or that you offer you are at a capacity uh, and capability to ensure every one of your citizens have access to healthcare, then you have to change your policies to ensure that migrant workers are also part of that scheme. Um, so they, or, or, or migrants themselves, right? So let's let's think more broadly as well. Like you can be migrant workers, migrants, all of that. Um, for um, example, uh, in Australia, we have Similar to BPJF, we have this thing called Medicare. We have a um, collaboration with about 15 other countries. So I think like UK, Finland, all of that, where if I am an Australian going to the UK or going to Finland or some some other countries, I get access to their healthcare, uh, the same as citizens there. So if I get sick, in the middle of me studying in the UK or me visiting Finland, I can go to the hospital and I ha- will have the same health treatment or at the same cost to citizens. So some of these kind of like um, bilateral or multilateral um, agreements exist. So countries have to start exploring agreements, particularly when more and more c- countries are, are implementing universal health coverage, right? Um, so, uh, as I said, a lot of countries in Southeast Asia are now in that process of implementing that. As we are now getting to a stage where more people in in their home country have the right to health, have the right to go to hospital and stuff like that, it offers an opportunity for countries to start talking to other countries to be like, okay, well, it can be reciprocal, right? Um, if I am from country A going to country B, or if you're from country B going to country A, you should have the same access to healthcare as normal citizens. Um, so that, that's part of it. If you're a country that unfortunately are in a position where the health capacity um, is still quite low, um, 
and it takes a lot for me to say this because I'm just, you know, some student in, in living in my home and stuff like that. But it's it's countries I have to start thinking from now, for five years from now, from 10 years from now, from fi- to 15 years from now, think about the investment that they need to make from now for the future, right? If, if a country is now interested, especially as COVID-19 has shown, it's really important to ensure that people, everyone in this country, have access to healthcare, right? Because in a in a communicable disease, it doesn't matter if I'm a non-citizen or a citizen, I can transmit the disease either way, right? To ensure the protection of society, you need to ensure the protection of individuals, which means you need to ensure they have access to healthcare. So if COVID-19 has taught countries something, is that they need to start thinking from the future for the future, right? Um, which means from now thinking about how much money will it take to prop up the health system or how much money will it take um, to um, uh, improve accessibility of um, health care for everyone regardless of citizenship um, so yeah it's it's that's probably where i see things should go right right so you know, um, creating bilateral and multilateral um, agreements between countries can be one of the ways to to improve the condition of health system to fulfill the rights of the people to the right to health, right? But that's uh, that's the part of what countries can do, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, my question next is what can the international community and grassroots civil society in east and southeast asia do to support the migrant workers in ensuring their rights to health protection um excellent excellent question um so i guess one would be uh improving accessibility as i said linguistic and cultural um divergences um have created a barrier for migrant workers to access healthcare. so while I think it is the responsibility for government to have and provide, um, say, translators or provide um, cultural education for health workers so that they can understand and treat migrants um, and migrant workers properly. In the absence of that, um, uh, organizations, and I know there are plenty across Southeast Asia who are doing really fantastic job. One thing that they can look at is um, uh, having a translator um, or uh, some, yeah, someone that can bridge the cultural and linguistic di- uh, differences so that when migrant workers are in need of help, when they need to go to a doctor and, you know, doc- going to doctors can be quite daunting, even if you speak the same language, right? Let alone if you don't speak the language. Like, how do you explain your medical ailments? It's hard, right? Like, how do how do you explain the feelings and sensations that you have, um, that you are experiencing? Um, so having translators will help with that. And that's probably something that um, organization already have a capacity to do, maybe for legal settings, but it could be maybe explored for health settings as well. Um, and, I, and as I said, I think the government should have uh, should be the one responsible for this and not um, uh, NGOs uh, because it's unfair, right? It's it's expensive uh, and and it's 
it's really it really should be a given that uh, translators are available um, in um, healthcare settings. Um, but other things would be um, taking advantage of the pandemic that we are actively going through at the moment um, and talk to to their community, right? In, in the first case, these organizations that work within are closely with the migrant workers in that particular country or that particular city or that particular town would be at best in knowing what is needed for us, uh, them, uh, their community, right? Um, and so uh, talking with them and understanding the problem so that they can better advocate to the government. If, say, for example, if the particular problem is that um, uh, say the quality of healthcare in this particular place for migrant workers is not as good as the rest of the citizens and advocating for improving that healthcare would be what is needed or in a different place would be that migrant workers don't even have access to healthcare because of the current policy so advocating that and using the fact that COVID have, have really changed the way health settings have worked right for the first time there is a um, urge for everyone, regardless of their status, to be vaccinated, for example. Taking leverage of that kind of idea that countries realizing that people need access to uh, preventative um, uh, health, like vaccines, or that people need access to um, reactive health, like going to the hospitals, right? Because it's affecting everyone. Taking advantage of that momentum to expand it to not just COVID-19, because other communicable diseases exist, right? We have TB, we have diarrheal diseases, we have so many different um, um, uh, diseases, right? That is possibly even worse because you, you know, you have some of them, you don't have vaccines. Some of them you need to be hospitalized for a very long time. They, they, they even need, regardless of this pandemic ending, you know, tomorrow or 10 years from now, there's always going to be a need for everyone to have access to healthcare. I don't know about you guys, but I feel that I'm having a six credits university class right now. <laughs> I mean, like I, within this short one hour, I learned why, why healthcare is, uh, protection is important, especially during the pandemic, what are the barriers for migrant workers to access them? What are the different schemes? And which country is doing better compared to the others? The lesson learned, etc. Like Aline has been a big insight for all of us, for us, seeing for the listeners. So we thank you very much for this discussion, Aline. Oh, so, thank you so much for having me. I've, uh, course, hopefully, I've, I've rambled for an hour. Hopefully, it makes sense. Oh, it does. It does definitely. And you, you, yeah, you yeah, showed yeah, us you a lot of findings. Su- su- such a fruitful conversation you know for me for people like me who you know have a very little knowledge about these you know i feel so enlightened yeah <laughs> enlightened is a good word enlightened yeah, is a very yeah. good word right. i'm glad i'm glad right. so aline oh, we'll look for uh towards more collaboration with you in the future and also good luck for your report launching and for the listeners for those that uh, i've told before as well so to, to commemorate the two years after WHO declared their pandemic, BBC has actually developed two initial reports on health protection, the one that Aline just uh, uh, explained to us, and also placement fees in East and Southeast Asia. So this report launch and policy discussion will be held in 10th of March 
2022 and the details of the events will be you know listed in our social media exactly and to you who listening to this podcast um you can follow us in our social media accounts at bbc org in facebook instagram and twitter to know more about us and to stay updated including to get details of our event we also do campaigns to raise awareness about different human rights issues like this one about the social protection for my for migrant workers and that's it thank you for listening to today's episode and we will see you on the next one